In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, nice to see all of you tonight. Welcome to the Daughters of the King, who have come just to worship just before their, um, your event at 6.30 tonight. Glad to have you with us. All right, I need you all to try real hard and, and just um, and use your imagination here. Can you imagine a scenario in which life did not turn out like you thought it would? Yeah, maybe you just you use that imagination. Thanks for bringing that up, preacher. Um, so let me let me paint a, uh, maybe a, a more specific scenario. Um, you you can make whatever associations uh, you want, what, whatever comes to mind. But imagine that you were brought up in the lap of luxury, and you uh, just had everything you could ever dream of. Even the rarest of opportunities was there for the taking for you. But there was a series of cascading missteps, or maybe it was just one giant mistake that changed the trajectory of your life. Before that incident happened, it never crossed your mind that you would spend your most prolific and potent years anywhere but on top of the world. But since that fateful decision, or that fateful season of decisions, nearly everything that you expected for yourself has been lost. And now you are lost. You're in a sort of existential barren land. Your marriage is often strained for various reasons. Your job stinks. and it has for decades, it, it never really any opportunity for growth. You're wandering uh, in the dark. And if the last however many years is any predictor of the future, it would not really even occur to you to think that any light is coming your way. And in this darkness, this wandering, a common uh, recurring thought is, I never thought that this is where I would be. Well, that might sound depressing, um, but it's Lent, so you're welcome. Um, I, I don't know if, if you know anybody that, that that scenario sort of matches up with, it describes, or if you find maybe little traces of your own story uh, in there in any way, but I do think probably on, on one level or another, we all know the feeling of um, that, uh, you know, in one time or another of our lives that... Of, of not being where we thought we'd be, or not having life turn out like we would, or not being who we thought that we would be. And I want to say to you tonight that whenever we find ourselves in that sort of place, it is the good news of the gospel. It is the promise of God given to us in Jesus Christ that can give us the hope that we long for. So we have a remarkable gospel passage from Luke. And in it, Jesus has just finished up a long teaching. And uh, in that teaching, which comes, of course, before the passage begins that we read, uh, he's, he has been talking about, a little bit, about interpreting the signs of the times. And so it follows that, uh, pretty naturally, that his hearers 
would bring up to him a, a very tragic and scandalous current event so that Jesus could help them interpret it. Maybe this is one of the signs of the times that, that Jesus is talking about. And so they, they tell Jesus about this really pretty gruesome event in which the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, who we will, of course, see again on Good Friday, that he had some Jews put to death in a, a nearby, in Galilee, some that were put to death as they were offering their weekly sacrifice. And Pilate had the audacity to pour the blood of these murdered Jews onto the sacrifices themselves right there on the altar before God. And it seems that just, you know, given the context that comes right before our passage, that that the audience wants some help understanding this, interpreting it, making some sense about it. And what nearly all scholars will point out is that within this very religious culture, there was an expectation, or maybe you might say it's an ideology, that if something very bad happened to you, like, for instance, you were killed and your blood was sprinkled on the sacrifices, something really bad like that, that it was undoubtedly the judgment of God enacted against you for some egregious sin that you had committed. Now, it's interesting because I think in our culture, uh, we would be horrified at the oppression and the violence perpetrated by Pontius Pilate. We would want uh, him as a leader held accountable. It feels a little bit contemporary to us. But in their culture, and even if they, I mean, even if they did not like the leader uh, at all, they assumed that the victims had it coming to them in some sort of divine sense. Because why else would a good God let something terrible like that happen? And the question of why bad things happen is, is of course, a, a question that we still struggle with. Uh, today, but they saw it. The way they answered that question was it was justified divine retribution. Even if they didn't know what the sin was, God knew what it was, and so justice was served. And Jesus responds, he's having none of that. He's having none of that. He says, he asked him, do you think that because the Galileans, these Galileans suffered in this way that they were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? No. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. That is the last thing that they would have been expecting. They did not expect for Jesus to say that. And and yet, just to be sure, just so they they were clear that he hadn't stuttered, Jesus brings up another very tragic current event. This uh, event is it's not recorded in history, but it seems to be an accident of construction. That a tower fell over on 18 people. He said, those 18 who were killed when the tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the other ones living in Jerusalem at the time? No. But unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Now, is Jesus picking a fight? He's certainly being blunt, isn't he? But he's also actually being very pastoral because he is helping them to see tragedy 
and maybe more importantly, to see themselves in the right way. Because you see, if you happen to think that bad things only happen to those who deserve divine judgment, then what are you going to think about yourself when nothing bad is happening? You think you're in the clear. You think you've got nothing to repent of. You think you are doing great on your own. And when you view yourself that way, in a theological sense, you believe yourself to be righteous. And that, when we consider ourselves to be righteous, that inevitably leads us to become self-righteous. And Jesus wants to dispel any notion that we don't all need repentance all the time. We all need repentance all the time. So then the question for us tonight is, what is repentance? It's a very Lenten question, isn't it? What is repentance? Now, most would say that repentance is a judgmental demand, sort of maybe a finger wag in there, to stop doing something bad. And I would say that stopping bad behavior is a good thing to do, and it's actually, it might be a good result of repentance, but it's not fundamentally repentance. But if we know that the bad circumstances that happen in life are not simply divine judgment, if we understand that salvation is a gift of God's grace that we have not earned by good works, then it would not make any sense would it? For Jesus to say, unless you stop doing bad things, you will all perish too. Unless you stop doing bad things, God's going to make a tower fall on you. That doesn't make any sense if we're saved by grace. Because throughout the Gospels, Jesus is much more concerned with the condition of our hearts than with the morality of our actions. Our morality, of course, is very important. But what Jesus always does is he goes for the root, not the fruit. He goes for the heart, not for the external actions. Which is why he dotes patiently on prostitutes and tax collectors, but is always getting into arguments with the self-righteous Pharisees. And so, if repentance is not simply turning from doing something bad to doing something good, well, what is it? I find that a helpful way to think about repentance is that we are turning from trusting in ourselves towards trusting in God. It might sound sort of elementary. We're turning from trusting in ourselves towards trusting in God. But here's the thing. We can trust in ourselves and do bad things, and, and, and that's rebellion. Or we can trust in ourselves and do good things, and be self-righteous. That's the prodigal son and the elder brother, right? Remember that prodigal, that, that parable? Repentance is not primarily about the quality of our behavior. Repentance is about the posture of our hearts. Repentance is about the posture of our hearts. Repentance recognizes that all of us, without God's grace, are in the dark. Repentance fosters spiritual humility and fosters a dependence upon God. Repentance is not a one-time thing, but in fact is a daily discipline. 
repentance recognizes that we're always, without the light of God's grace, we're always in the dark. What's interesting is that Jesus follows these very blunt pronouncements with a very comforting parable. Which is strange, because we might expect that if on the heels of repent or perish, we might expect a parable that, that ends with a terrifying, or else. But that's not what Jesus gives us. Jesus tells us about a tree that is not producing fruit, which I suppose is a tree's version of being in the dark, being lost. And there is a voice of judgment Cut down the trees, just wasting soil. That is, as far as I can tell, that is the voice of the world, right? That's the voice that demands, what have you done for me lately? That is the voice that only finds worth in production. But the gardener takes a very different view of the tree. The gardener, who is the Christ figure in the parable, is hopeful and sees potential The gardener knows his own skill to see that potential to fruition. The gardener is going to tend to the tree himself with the goal of restoration and new life and ultimately new fruit. Because that's the goal of repentance. It's not just good behavior. It's recognizing that we're not bearing fruit on our own. Remember Jesus said, apart from me you can do nothing. But repentance is letting Jesus tend to us with the hopeful expectation of restoration and new life and new fruit. Now, the scenario that I sort of portrayed for you at the beginning, you know, the one about one mistake changing the trajectory of our lives and not being where we expected to be or who we expected to be, wandering in the dark. I don't know if you relate to that, if you have a season in your life where you relate to that something, it's actually the story of Moses. That's Moses' story from the Old Testament. Because Moses grew up in the luxury of Pharaoh's palace. He was adopted as a member of the royal family, expecting great things. But after he killed an Egyptian, trying to help A Hebrew slave, he ran off, he fled into the wilderness of the desert. And it was there, far, far away from the royal luxuries and far away from the royal responsibilities that he expected to inherit, far away from his own Hebrew people and their faith, that he married a Midianite woman and tended sheep for her pagan priest father. For decades. You can just imagine having known the luxuries, having known the education, having known uh, all that he knew that there in the dark wandering around under the night sky that Moses just wondered, how did I end up here? I was supposed to be royalty. I was going to be the prime minister. How did I end up as a stranger in a strange land? How uh, did I end up finding grass and water for sheep in a desert day after day and decade after decade? Moses was lost. 
He was in the wilderness. He was in the dark, not just geographically, but spiritually and existentially. And that is where God met him. It was in his lostness where God appeared to him with unexpected light and gave him purpose beyond his wildest imagination. It was in his hopelessness that God promised to be with him. It was in his wilderness where after a little bit of divine cajoling, Moses turned from the frustration of following and trusting himself in his own ways and turns toward trusting in God. Friends, that is repentance. We usually think of repentance as a sort of angry demand of judgment, but this Lent, I want to invite you to think of repentance differently. I want to invite you to think of repentance as an invitation to honest self-evaluation, as an invitation to restoration and to purpose, as an invitation to turn away from walking in your own ways and in your own strength and to turn again and again towards God and to God's strength. I've got to tell you that I have felt lost and in the dark in virtually every area of my life at one time or another, certainly as a priest and as your rector, as a husband, as a father, And I have always found that it's in the dark places that God seems to show up with His light. I can remember a particularly difficult time with one of my children. It was kind of a long and hard season. We were in Birmingham before we moved here, and it was just constantly my strong will against my child's strong will. And it was exhausting. It was painful, probably for both, well, I'm surely for both of us, but it was, it, was, it was just exhausting. And I very often felt angry and hopeless, and, uh, and all I could think was, this is not what I signed up for, how did I wind up here? And I can remember one particular incident which left me just... Uh, threadbare, um, emotionally threadbare, and, and the next day after a, a tossing night's sleep, I uh, sort of begrudgingly opened up my Bible, and I happened to be in the book of Hebrews re- reading there, and turned to Hebrews chapter 12, and I don't know if you had the experience where you're reading the Bible and it just is like what you need to hear, but Hebrews chapter 12 says, the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. And that verse was a burning bush for me. It was divine light in the darkness of my exhaustion and self-pity. And I realized in that moment that my difficult child, who is, let me tell you, a superstar now, that that child was a gift to me from God. Not just in a sort of... um, I don't know, you know, hallmark sense, but, but in, a, in an actual spiritual sense, because in that season, I was being given a daily invitation to repentance, to 
to lay down my need to control the uncontrollable, to apologize again for my anger, and to turn again and again and again to trust the God who loves me and my child more than we could ever dream. It's repentance. And it's just one out of thousands of stories that I could tell you of the gracious light of God showing up in the dark and offering the way. So, I mean, you might, if you're in that season now, like you might be in the sheep-tending season, you know, the, the wandering-in-the-dark season. And if that's true for you, I just want to encourage you to make a habit of looking at the cross because God didn't even spare Himself from such suffering and death and even there, uh, resurrection was coming. So if you're in that sheep-tending phase, then I want to tell you resurrection's coming. Light is coming. Somebody said after one of the services today that I, I, I've learned that if, if things aren't going well, it's not the end of the story. It's a good way to say it. Look to the cross and the empty tomb. And think of repentance as an invitation. An invitation to restoration and to hope. Amen.